Now, something I need to uh, admit um, is that I'm not a great receiver of gifts, uh, although I have to say I'm even worse at giving them. <laughs> uh, I do appreciate gifts, uh, and, and I'm thankful, and I try to make sure you know that I'm thankful and, uh, for the gift, or at least the thoughtfulness, uh, but I'm not overflowing with thankfulness. I'm not a really bubbly, you know, wow, thank you so much, this is awesome. That, you know, it's just not really my personality. And I find it really hard to pretend that I like gifts that I don't really like. It's a little bit of an open book there. Uh, I can't just help, you know, thinking about how it's a bit of a waste, really. I'm not really going to use that. don't really like it. Sorry. Um, so that's me. But my brother-in-law, Bill, on the other hand, is the ultimate gift giver. You end up feeling like the most thoughtful, generous, insightful person of the world because of how happy you've made him feel with your gift. Uh, there's a photo of him here, which is, uh, now, he's obviously putting it on a little bit or a lot in this photo, uh, but you can see he really gets into receiving gifts. The problem, though, which is illustrated quite well by this photo, is that he tends to be a little bit too over the top. Uh, his reactions, even when they're not quite as silly as this, are just a little bit too appreciative. He can't really like the gift that much. It's just not that good a gift. Uh, and so you suspect that his reaction might have nothing to do with whether he really likes the present or how thankful he is. He's just trying to make you feel good. Uh, now, some people, they do tend to react to situations. They react to things in a way that is just, frankly, over the top, isn't it? Uh, it just seems too much. It's not really what you'd expect in the situation. I think Mary's song, in some ways, from our passage today, uh, in response to the news that she will have a child, can seem a little bit like this. She's been told she's going to have a baby, and she proclaims, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Why is it over the top? Well, because it sounds like the eternally grateful praise of a married woman who has been longing for a child for many, many years, but has been tragically unable to conceive. And then finally, through God being mindful of the humble state of her servant and doing great things for her, she has been able to conceive. It sounds like something that would be more fitting from the lips of her elderly relative, Elizabeth, who is in precisely that kind of situation. But what's Mary's situation? There's an unmarried young woman with zero disappointment for not having had a child yet because she had no expectation of having a child yet. And what's more is that she's betrothed to a man who's going to have big questions about her pregnancy. The world of Mary and Joseph is not a time and place that celebrated women falling pregnant out of wedlock. But the news that she was about to conceive before marriage without the assistance of her fiancé was not really good news from the perspective of Mary's personal circumstances. Uh, last Christmas, I'm sure you all remember the sermon from last Christmas, <laughs> we reflected on these accounts from Matthew's Gospel. And we got a really clear sense of just how difficult and dangerous all this could have been for Mary. We read in Matthew chapter 1 that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph was uh, her husband was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. 
Uh, at face value, from the perspective of what's good for Mary, the news that she was about to conceive was frankly pretty bad news. It was inconvenient at best. Inconvenient at best. It was, it was really disruptive news that had the potential to set her life spiralling down into social alienation and poverty. She was lucky that Joseph had in mind to simply divorce her quietly and give her a good chance of survival. Now, of course, we know that God took care of all the confusion and looked after Mary and her baby, but at the point when Mary breaks into her song of praise, she doesn't necessarily know how it's all going to play out with Joseph. So no, Mary's song doesn't quite make sense of her personal circumstances, but that is because it's not really about her personal circumstances, is it? At least it's not about her having a baby. It's about God bringing a particular baby into the world through her. See, Mary's rejoicing and praising God because she quite rightly sees that she's been blessed to play a central role in God working out his great plans of salvation in this world. And so she rejoices at God's faithfulness and mercy despite the inconvenience of his grace for her personally. In fact, Mary is reframing her personal circumstances around the great story of God's salvation. She believes that in the end, all generations, all generations will call her blessed, even if some might give her a sideways glance in the meantime. She believes the Mighty One has done great things for her, not because God has made life easier, not because he's given her children riches or social status or whatever else we might associate with being hashtag blessed, but because God has chosen her to bring his son into the world. So this is not about her having a baby. This is about God graciously choosing her to bear his child, his king, into the world. Mary rejoices because of what the angel Gabriel has said God is about to do through her. We know the story well. It was read out for us a moment ago. God sends the angel Gabriel to Mary. Uh, he greets her as one who is highly favoured. Uh, she's troubled, quite understandably, by an angel appearing to her. And he explains again, she's found favour with God. There's no need to fear. Now, he's not saying that um, he has appeared to her because God has decided she's really impressive, that she's earned God's favour, and so he's here. No, he's saying that she is favoured by God because of what he's about to say. She has been chosen for a very special task. And then he delivers this momentous news. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This incredible announcement that she will give birth to the promised Son of David who will reign forever, well, that's really the foundation, isn't it, for Mary's outburst of praise. And we'll, we'll come back in a moment to unpack this announcement and, and Mary's reaction a little more. But first, there's, there's more to appreciate about what leads Mary to sing this song of praise. You see, her first reaction to what the angel has said is, but how? She's a virgin. How could she possibly conceive and give birth? And at, at this point, we're meant to think of Zechariah's reaction to the news that his wife would conceive and give birth, which we, we looked at last week. He too was amazed and wondered, how could this be possible? But there's a difference, isn't there? Zechariah asked how he could be sure this would happen. And he immediately gives reasons why it's unlikely to be true. 
he and his wife are old. Zechariah struggles to believe that, that this could possibly be true. And the angel Gabriel chastises him for his lack of faith in the promise of God. He's mute until the day the child is born. Mary, on the other hand, she doesn't ask for a sign so that she can be sure. She simply wonders, how is it that a virgin could give birth? I don't understand. And so the angel Gabriel explains, well, not the normal way, dear Mary. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This child will be a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit of God in your womb. He will be God's own holy child. Uh, and then even though Mary hasn't asked for a sign, Gabriel gives one to her. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. See, Gabriel appreciates that what he's sharing is incredible. It'd be hard to understand, let alone believe. And so to encourage Mary to entrust herself to God's miraculous power, he shares that her older relative Elizabeth, who up until now has not been able to conceive, is already in her sixth month of pregnancy, according to the promise of God. He wants her to know no word from God will ever fail. Uh, and as we heard in the reading, Mary's content both to believe what she's heard and also to personally embrace her role. I'm the Lord's servant. May it happen as you've said. But although Mary accepts uh, the angel's word as God's truth uh, and will inevitably experience the truth of this message in time for herself as her you know, tummy starts to swell, the morning sickness comes, Mary takes it upon herself to go to Elizabeth to confirm the word of the angel. We read from verse 39, At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now again, I think it's important to appreciate this is not lack of faith, as if Mary doubted it was true, sounds a little bit crazy, I'm going to go see for myself and check out whether Elizabeth really is pregnant. No, she goes to Elizabeth because she believes what she's just been told. She goes to confirm, but expecting it to be confirmed. She goes in faith. And what she receives is a double confirmation. She's delighted to see her older relative glowing in her third trimester, just as the angel had said. And she receives a greeting from her in return that speaks to the heart of the promises the angel has made to her. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child you will bear. I can only imagine what Mary was thinking to herself as she made the journey to Elizabeth's town, the words of the angel Gabriel ringing in her ears. And now, the moment she enters Elizabeth's home, she hears these astonishing words from her relative. Why am I so favoured? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. The mother of my Lord. You see, Elizabeth's own baby, we, we read it, we heard it read out for us, uh, who's destined to announce the coming of the Lord, John the Baptist, has leapt inside her at the voice of Mary. And Elizabeth understands, under the guidance of God's Spirit, that the prophetic work of her little baby has already begun is announcing the coming of her Lord. And so Elizabeth declares that Mary is blessed among women for the role she is to play. She is blessed because she has believed the word of the Lord to her. The announcement has been confirmed. Mary is doubly convinced uh, that this incredible news is true. She has been chosen by God 
to give birth to the long-awaited Son of God. And so at this point, well, she can hold it in no longer. She, her, her song of praise and wonder bursts out. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary understands she is truly blessed. Not because she's going to have a baby, but because of who the angel said this baby will be. The son of the most high. The one who will sit on the throne of David and reign forever. Her boy will be her Lord, the one that she's been waiting for. See, for hundreds of years, God has promised to establish a king on the throne of David, a king who would establish justice and peace in the world, who would rule forever and ever in righteousness, transforming the world to be a place of joy, a king who would finally put a stop to the corruption of earthly leaders and and vindicate those who've waited patiently for his justice. And the angel Gabriel has said that this king is about to be conceived in her. And that's why she goes on in her song uh, from verse 51 to declare that God has done mighty deeds, not just for her, this isn't just about her, but for all those who put their hope in God. Verse 51, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now, it's not the kind of thing you normally hear from expectant parents, is it? It's not what you might, you know, what people post on Facebook under photos of their ultrasound images. You know, we're looking forward to a little baby girl. God has done mighty deeds and brought down rulers from their thrones. It's, it doesn't fit. No, this is the language of salvation and redemption. Mary draws on the language and longing of the Old Testament prophets, looking forward to the coming kingdom of God as she contemplates what the birth of her child will mean. This will mean the justice that God has been promising his people for so long. It's coming. It'll be fulfilled. No longer will the proud and the powerful trample on the hungry and the needy. Did you notice how all these great acts are in the past, according to Mary? Simply in the announcement that this child is coming, that he is being formed inside her by the power of the Holy Spirit, God has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and instead lifted up the humble. In the news of this child to be born, God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel. He's remembered to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised. The birth of Jesus, in fact, even simply in the announcement to Mary that she will conceive him, That is God being faithful to his promises to turn this world upside down, to bring blessing through the nation of Israel to the humble and bring his judgment on the proud and oppressive people and systems of the world. The final outcome of God's great work of redemption through his Messiah, the kingdom of God, bringing peace and justice and setting this world to rights, it's as good as here 
declares Mary, because God has said his son is to be conceived in her. It's happening. The kingdom has come. And so, of course, that's what Christmas is all about, isn't it? This is why all the original Christmas carols, the ones that are actually about Jesus that we sing in church, go on and on about kings in the line of David and God's redemption of a world languishing in sin and death. Take uh, two verses from O Come, O Come, Emmanuel that we sang last week together. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, desire of nations, bind all peoples in one heart and mind, bid envy, strife, and discord cease. Fill the whole world with heaven's peace. As Graham was praying about earlier. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. And then, of course, as the uh, opening verse to joy to the world, we're going to sing this tomorrow morning as we celebrate Christmas Day. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Christmas is all about the wonderful news that God has kept his promises. He has sent his, his king, his son, to ransom captive Israel, to rescue humanity from our exile in sin. Jesus comes as the desire of the nations, the one who will end discord and strife and fill the whole world with heaven's peace. And so Mary rejoices in the announcement that she's about to conceive this child because it means her king has come and with him all the joy and hopes for peace and justice that are bound up in the promise of God's good kingdom. She rejoices in the midst of the inconvenience and the disruption this news brings to her personal world because she knows how good this news really is for her and for the whole world. She rejoices that God is going to turn the world upside down through this baby, even though her personal world may well be turned upside down in the process. And I think in Mary's reaction, in her song of praise, in, the, in her circumstances, we have a helpful reminder for each of us to look beyond our personal circumstances and to rejoice in the news that God's King, our King, has come in Jesus. Even if this news is actually a little bit inconvenient. See, on the surface of it, Christmas seems to be all about comfort and feeling good, except for the shopping, which... You know, I think most of us don't enjoy. But, you know, quite frankly, Christmas can be all about rejoicing in our immediate physical, social circumstances. Family, friends, food, holidays. We celebrate this time of year. We look forward to it for a reason. But of course, as we know, the real reason for the season is Jesus. And Jesus, when you think about it, is actually a little inconvenient, isn't he? Jesus comes as the king. He comes to disrupt this world, to turn it upside down, to fill the hungry with good things, to send the rich away empty, to scatter the proud, to lift up the humble. And whilst this really is good news, it, it does mean our lives getting turned upside down in the process. Either now, as we embrace Jesus as our king, reorder our priorities and our values and our ethics around Jesus and his word, or later, as we face the consequences of resisting his rule 
And I think the way that the birth of Jesus disrupts Mary's personal world, it's like a picture of the way Jesus really disrupts our whole world, the way that he disrupts each of our lives. It's a profoundly good thing that, that Jesus comes to disrupt this world, to set things to right. But it's not an easy or comfortable thing. You see, he comes to take back his rightful place as king over each of us. As we sing in joy to the world, let earth receive her king, let every heart prepare him room. And that's not always easy or comfortable. That's not necessarily convenient. We tend to enjoy ruling ourselves, having ourselves as king in our hearts. It would actually be easier and more convenient in some ways if God just left us alone. But it, it wouldn't be better for us. It wouldn't be better for us. It wouldn't be better for the world. It would be less disruptive, but it would be far more tragic. But Jesus comes to turn the world upside down, our lives upside down, because that's what we need. It really is profoundly good news that, that he's come as God's promised king set everything right. That's why Mary's rejoicing, even if it means our lives getting turned upside down in the process. And it, it's worth reflecting on this and pointing it out because not everyone sees it this way. Some can only see the inconvenience of Jesus coming as king. Some can only see Jesus' claim to the throne as, as an unfair and unwelcome imposition on their autonomy, on, on the future that they had planned for themselves. See, at the opposite end of the spectrum from Mary and her reaction is King Herod and his reaction to the news that God's king has come. Many of you know the story. I'm not going to read it out. You find it in Matthew chapter 2. Herod is so disturbed by the news, so opposed to the idea that anyone else could take his place, that he orders the deaths of all the baby boys in the region of Bethlehem just to make sure there'd be no Messiah stuffing up his future. Of course, it didn't work, and he made things worse for him. We want to follow Mary's lead, don't we? Certainly not Herod's, and not even our own self-absorbed instinct. We want to follow Mary's example and rejoice by faith in the grace of God at Christmas, his inconvenient, disruptive grace, because it really is such good news. So, In the midst of the, the superficial comforts of Christmas, the meals, the presents, the time relaxing with family, in the midst of all this, it's good to appreciate that the birth of Christ, it is actually a disruption to our lives. It's not comfortable or easy to hand over the reins back to God. But like Mary, we, we want to see past the disruption, past the risk, past the inconvenience, to grasp just how profoundly good this news is. This is the powerful, merciful, faithful justice of God. It's exactly what we need. And really, when you think about it, it's, it's impossible to go over the top celebrating this news. Let's pray and give thanks to God together. Lord God, we do thank you for Jesus, for everything that he means for us and for this world. We pray that you'd help us to be honest with ourselves about what it costs to welcome Jesus, to prepare him room in our hearts, but to see clearly how good and right it is and to gladly celebrate his coming. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.